Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through um, the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope um, without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not, not, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Good morning, Core. All right, I'm going to lay out the facts for you. Bryce preached three weeks ago, then you had Michael Gambola, and last week we had Austin. So I am your cleanup batter. I'm going to clear the bases. I'm your, uh, I'm your anchor leg in your 4 by 100 uh, 4 by 100 race. I'm kidding, of course. Some of you have asked, hey, why isn't Bryce preaching? This was intentional. Bryce actually had February. He had a lot of coursework that he had to finish, some heavy, heavy coursework he had to finish, and they thought they would be in the midst of a move. So we planned on having a little interlude for Bryce so he didn't have to preach each and every Sunday. Uh, I think one of the courseworks was you had to build a volcano, right? Was that <laughs> part of your study? <clears throat> Actually, that's, that's a side note, um, a side note for us. Please be praying for Bryce and Bethany that they find a house in Roanoke, ASAP. Um, I know the drive is, is, is probably uh, is unsustainable, I guess I should say. So let, let's pray that they get up here soon. I know they're looking at houses every time they're up here, so... Just keep them in your prayers that they find a place. Um, that's definitely something we want for them. All right, so in public speaking courses, we're told you have to win the trust of the audience. So I'm going to start with some jokes. It's always a good, it's always a good way to start. <clears throat> uh, my dog recently ate a bunch of Scrabble pieces. We're waiting to hear from the vet. There's still no word. Which, which bear is the most condescending? A panda? Duh. So now that I've earned your trust and your goodwill, let's begin. So it, it is my privilege to be up here today to share with you. Um, as one of your church elders, I don't take this responsibility lightly. I'm excited to be here. I did preach around this time last year, and I recall speaking about the journey this church was going to be on in 2022. I recall speaking about the need for prayer and all that we were going to go through. And if you think back on all the things planned and unplanned, all the things that happened last year, it's been quite a journey. We're very excited to have Bryce with us. Um, we're very excited to see what the Lord has, as we've been saying for so long in, in chapter two of the core story. Well, Last week, Austin covered groups, and I'm also going to cover groups. We're going to talk about groups, but he talked about Colossians 3 and the call to community. I'm going to cover a little bit on the 
negative side, what happens when we don't find ourselves in groups? What happens when we find ourselves isolated and disconnected? As you know, you're going to hear this again probably next week when we cover Go, but as you know, we have our four Gs. Grace is our glorious foundation. Grow is our constant exhortation. Very good. (laughs) Groups are our primary organization, and Go is our radical orientation. Now, these are not meant to be platitudes or catchy phrases. They're not meant to be bumper sticker ideas because we're not really a bumper sticker kind of church. These are key concepts that help found who we are as a church. We are a people set apart in the Roanoke Valley to live, love, and serve one another as we inhabit this specific place. These G's are part of what make us distinctive and unique. And we say that groups are our primary organization. And I can honestly tell you that this is an area we're actually, we're actually doing pretty well. When we did lead pastor interviews, that would be a question we would get quite often is, how many people are in groups? How are your groups doing? And we could give them some of our statistics. And they were usually intrigued by the statistics. We're doing pretty well with groups. Now, there's a lot of churches that have small groups, and they don't have a huge amount of participation. Now, because we're doing well doesn't mean we don't need to grow and continue to uh, do well in that area. Also, it helps for us to understand why we do what we do and also understand why we say some of the things we say. So I've been part of a small group at this church since, really since the beginning, 2015-ish, and I've uh, enjoyed being part of the smaller community within the larger community of CORE. Um, I've also had the pleasure of being a group leader for several years now. For many of us in this room, groups are not a foreign concept. We work in groups of people. We go to other meetings, other charity groups. We, we, we serve with others in the neighborhood. We play sports on teams, which is another way to say groups. So for many of us, groups are part of our everyday lives. But there are those in our world and in our community who Groups and fellowship and community isn't a guarantee. There are folks in, neighbor, in, in neighborhoods all over Roanoke who don't have the opportunities we have. There are people who live without community, isolated and disconnected. Some people choose to live this way. They say, I don't need anyone. I'm okay on my own, which made me think, of a movie, which I thought, it was like, oh, it's a more recent movie, and then I looked at how old it was, and like, this is an older movie. There's a movie about 20 years ago called About a Boy with Hugh Grant, and in that film, Will is a single man who lives for himself, and he doesn't need anyone else. His, he embodies selfish living. In fact, his mantra, which he shares at the start of the film, is, all men are islands, and I'm Ibiza. So his greatest desire is to be a party island all by himself. Of course, it wouldn't be a movie without some sort of character change. So the arc of the movie is where Will gets inadvertently, unintentionally, by accident, gets involved in the life of a troubled and awkward high school boy. Marcus is this high school boy, and he's got a rough family life. And Will gets sucked in. (laughs) He finds himself getting drawn in, and he rebels against this because It's contrary to his selfish motto. And at one point he says, I'm a visa, I don't need anyone else. But yet he's getting drawn into Marcus's life. And they forge a two-way relationship. Marcus needing 
male mentorship, and Will needing somebody to actually invest in. Well, ultimately, the movie, the course of the movie, Will finds out that he does need people, he actually does want people, and his way of living hadn't been working all along. There had been a massive gap in his life from the beginning. At the end of the film, Marcus is doing the narration, and he says, all men, or no man is an island, all men need backup. We all need backup. We have people in our community who fall somewhere on the spectrum of having very little community or none at all. And today's passage comes from Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Now, in talking about small groups in that terminology, I should point out, and we, should, we all probably know this, but small groups, that word does not appear in Scripture. There's not a passage that says, on the third day, thou shalt arrive at the Anderson's house for small group. You know the house right next to Todd's Crispy Taco Palace. It's not in Scripture. But Scripture does tell us about community, about serving one another, about loving one another, about needing one another. And today's passage from Hebrews, a little bit of background on our, our passage coming from Hebrews, is Hebrews is a reminder to these new Christians who left the Jewish faith that their faith in Christ is better and a fulfillment of their old law-based religion. There were some who were starting to go back, step away from their Christian faith, their newfound Christian faith, and go back. And the author of Hebrews was mentioning uh, that their new faith, their Christian faith, was better and superior. Those two words, better and superior, are throughout the book of Hebrews, demonstrating that Jesus, as Messiah, is the only priest, the only sacrifice, and the only covenant they need. With the goal of encouraging these Christians to hold to their faith and not return to the law, the writer exalts Jesus above everything Judaism reveres, over the prophets, angels, Moses, priests. What Christ did in his ministry is greater than the ministry of the Levitical priests, greater than the covenant, greater than the old sacrifices, and greater than anything that happened in Mount Sinai. Christ's ministry is a completion of these things. So that's the background. And then the passage says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10 is kind of reminding us the things we need to do as believers, and then ends with the call to continue meeting together. A couple of notes on this. Some were in the habit of not meeting together. There are some, and I've been tempted to do it as well, that there, there's times when you think, I think I can do this Christianity thing on my own. Well, guess what? That's not an original concept. It always helps me when I see something that I think I'm struggling with or wrestling with that's original, and then I see it in scripture, or I see it in early church writings, I'm like, well, gosh, I have not broken any new ground here. This is not a new thing. Being a Lone Ranger Christian, although tempting, is not, is not scriptural. There's no scriptural basis for it. Paul, or not Paul, but well, the author of Hebrews, some suggest Paul, they were saying that, that some of these Jewish believers were foregoing their new faith and were, were stepping out of fellowship, stepping away. The author here is reminding us to dive deeper into community is to dive deeper into your faith. They're one and the same. Our faith has been 
is and always will be relational. Our faith is relational to God. Yeah, we get that. But it's also relational to each other. Horizontal and vertical, both. We need both. The writer of Hebrews is saying some stopped meeting together. This is incompatible with a faith-filled life. In fact, the whole canon of Scripture argues for and within community. You may have heard somebody say or may have seen the bumper sticker at some time that says, I love God, I just don't love His people. Well, there's no scriptural basis for that statement. It's pithy, yes, and we can be annoying, yes, and we can be certainly sinful and harmful, but to love God is to love people and love His people. In this passage, the writer just finished off this powerful section about what we have in Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, we have a great high priest. We have a full assurance of faith. We have hearts sprinkled clean, and we can hold fast to our confession of our hope. These are actions we continue to do in light of what God has done for us. Then, as a corollary, he says, we need to consider how to stir one another up. NIV uses the word spur one another up. King James says provoke one another. Those are very powerful, powerful words that we need to stir one another and then we should keep meeting together and encourage each other all the more. There's a connection between receiving from God and then doing, doing those things in community, living that out. You have to do both. You have to have one and the other. So in this passage, we have, clear, we have a clear call to meet together. We have a clear call to be in community together. The first thing I want to point out is that this is a positive response to grace. This is a positive response to grace. This is our response to what Jesus has done. This is a response to his faithfulness, his provision, and his completed work. Jesus is our high priest, and he stands before God and ministers on our behalf. We respond by living out our faith in community. We do this together. You've heard it before, but you'll hear it again. The one another's of Scripture requires others. You can't love one another all by yourself. You've got to be in community. Second thing that community does for us, it encourages us to grow in our faith. Now, this has been touched on the last two weeks by both Austin and Michael, so I'm going to briefly touch on it. We grow together. We grow together. We are stirred up together, inspired, encouraged. We're encouraged to serve God. We're encouraged to be faithful. This is all within the context of community. This, this group, and the groups that meet Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, we do this together. Some of you probably have stories of somebody who saddled up up next to you and encouraged you and spurred you on, challenged you, pushed you, loved you. I had a very practical example of this last year. I did a really foolish and long obstacle race last year, and I was out on the course for several hours, and I got to a rope climb, and I'd already done it once in the day, and I got there this time very, very tired, very discouraged, very much questioning my sanity. And there was a woman there. She wasn't working there. She was just cheering two people on. And I think she was waiting for somebody to come through. And I was stretching to make sure I didn't, you know, get a, uh, get a cramp as I jumped onto, onto the rope. And I said something like, well, we'll see how this goes. And she said, what's your name? And I was like, well, that's a strange question. But my name's Josh. And she said, you got this, Josh. And so she started cheering me on with my name. You got this, Josh. You can do this. Keep going, Josh. And I started climbing the rope. Sure enough, I got to the top. She 
encouraged me. She didn't do anything other than give me some words of affirmation. Didn't take a lot of effort on her part. It probably gave her something to do as she was waiting for somebody to come through. But we can spur each other on. We can encourage each other. Another positive from being in community is that we create pathways for which grace can flow. Scripture tells us that when two or three gather, God's with us. Thus, when we gather in small groups, or we gather around a cup of coffee, or we gather here in this large group, uh, it's a means by which we enter the presence of God. This is a pathway to receive grace. I don't reflect upon that idea enough, that every time I grab a cup of coffee with a brother or a believer, or every time you grab a cup of coffee with a sister, you're gathering in the presence of God. It should add weight to some of our meetings. Perhaps it adds a sense of holiness. How much more so does this apply when we're gathering to actually read Scripture and pray and encourage each other, actually do the one another's of Scripture? So something about your presence in small group, in your presence on Sunday mornings, it's not just about you. It's about the others around you. It's about all of us together. The church is called to love one another. We're also called to love our neighbors. And I would argue that while we do teach a lot about loving our neighbors, we often don't teach as much about loving one another, that we are called to love one another in this room. Does the world know that we love each other in this room? Is it abundant? Is it obvious when visitors come and step through the doors? Do we love each other well? God puts us here, this random collection of randos, that's a good way to put that, we're all a bunch of randos, right? God puts us here in this group to live, love, worship, pray, and grow together. This imperfect group, all of us here. We need to always be willing to ask ourselves how well we're loving and serving one another. A sense of community and support is something that I think we all desire. It's something that I think the world of the recovery world does pretty well. Places like AA, NA, or Celebrate Recovery. For those in addiction, you tend to struggle alone and isolated. So recovery, therefore, is built around community. You struggle alone, but you recover amongst others. You're provided a safe space to share your victories, share your struggles, share your issues, your questions in a room full of people who know exactly what you're talking about. They create a community of support and relationship that's built upon a shared experience and a common commitment to growth and freedom. That's what we try to do here. We're trying to create a, space, a safe space where we walk and stumble and walk and stumble together in our faith. Now, here's a very practical point about groups at CORE. Our groups at CORE are very practical. They're very organizational. Right? We don't believe in a professional clergy at CORE. We don't have a huge staff. We can't possibly do all the ministry we need to do at CORE through one or two people. We do it through all of us because we're all called to be ministers. I know that's something that Tom would talk about quite often, the ministry of the people. That's us. We're all called to be ministers. So ministry gets done in small groups because sometimes those people are closest to the people that are being ministered to. It's kind of like the concept of local government is often more in touch with you than the federal government. The further you get away from something, you know, the less in touch you are. So we do ministry in groups for practical reasons and organizational reasons. This takes many forms. How many groups have been part of praying for somebody or a phone call or taking a meal or acts of service and charity? I've attended graduation parties or sporting events, all in the name of supporting small group. Right? And I'm sure some of you in your groups have 
celebrated and mourned together with your group members. We do at CORE want to make sure that everybody who sits here each Sunday has a group, has people, has people, has backup, right? When life throws you those curveballs, we want you to be able to say, I've got somebody to call, and I've got somebody who could pray for me, or I've got somebody who's going to walk with me through this tough situation. We don't want people to be isolated and alone. So groups are an organizational structure we use to minister. And those of you who aren't in groups, which I know it's not a huge number, but those who aren't, I do implore you to try them out. Uh, springtime's a great time to restart, and it's basically spring now, right? According to the flowers, it's spring already. So if you're not in a group, try one out. Talk to Austin. See which ones are available. Um, you don't even have to. Maybe you don't see a group that works for you. Maybe you could be a facilitator. I didn't say teacher, I said facilitator. There's a difference, right? Facilitating is you lead the discussion. You don't have to have all the answers. Or maybe if that's even too much, maybe you can be a host. Hosting is even easier. All you got to do is turn the lights on and unlock the door. You don't got to put the toys away. You don't got to sweep the floor. And if you insist on it, you don't even have to take the plastic off the couches. (laughs) Hosting is easy. So if you're interested in either one of those two things, let Austin know. All right, so now we're going to get into the negatives. Now it's going to go dark. It's going to get real dark here. All right, so what happens when we're not in group, when we're not in community? Well, first thing is isolation can breed selfishness. Maybe selfishness feeds isolation. Maybe it's both. I don't know. But when you step out of fellowship or step out of community, it's actually somewhat selfish. And I want to say this gently, gently, but it, it can be somewhat selfish. I've actually recently had a conversation with somebody who kind of stepped out of fellowship and said that nobody really cared anyway, and my point to him was, well, that's not true. Um, You're loved, and you're missed, and when you step out, there's a piece of us that's missing. There's a piece of this puzzle that is now missing. When you step out, you're taking your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your personality, and out of this family we've built. That's not to say that, you know, that you never can leave. I'm not making that statement, but when you step away and you don't invest somewhere else, you're investing in yourself and not investing in others. It may not always be easy. It may not always be fun. It may not always be pretty. But when we're in community, there's a very good chance God's going to work on you through community, through other people. Part of being, that's part of being spurred on towards love and good deeds. Sometimes you need a kick in the fanny. Sometimes you need a slap in the head, and it comes from a brother or a sister who's right next to you. Outside of fellowship and community, you also become more vulnerable. Vulnerability is, in, is increased when you're on your own. Scripture has so many examples of this. When someone's isolated or alone, the temptation comes. Jesus in the desert was tempted. Ecclesiastes 4, you know this passage, talks about the benefits of being together with someone else. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls who doesn't have someone to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need each other for practical reasons. We need each other. You're not just vulnerable to sin and temptation when you're on your own, but you're also vulnerable to lies and false teachings. That's one of the reasons we sit here each Sunday and we hear the Word together. And then we can discuss the Word together. I know there's several small groups, mine included, that's our topic every week is we talk about the sermon. And we give Bryce points, and then like we measure 
and compare. This week, we're not doing that in my group. We do. We do discuss sermons each week. We don't, we don't rate the sermons, but we do discuss sermons each week. And I know several, several other groups do that as well. And actually, that's what the author of Hebrews was talking about. When you stop meeting together, you become more vulnerable, and you may fall away. Those Christians who were not coming anymore, not showing up anymore, they were returning to their old ways, their law-based ways. They were walking away from this newfound faith they had. This doesn't happen easily if you're plugged in. You have to unplug and, and kind of drift off, and that's unfortunately what happens. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, talks about how we're carried away by the wind and waves of false teachings. There's a whole lot of false teachings out there. One of the things that, how, one of the reasons, one of the ways we combat that, it, Paul reminds us, is the body of Christ, being in community, living your faith out together. You're, you're less prone to error if you're investing in one another and growing together. And then Paul reminds us, he talks about this group called the Bereans. The only thing we really know about the Bereans is they checked out his sermons. They would sit there and listen to his sermon and then go home and check it out. So it couldn't have just been one or two people. This must have been a characteristic of this whole community of people that would listen to his sermons and then they were committed to the truth. Paul commended them for that. And that's what we should do as a community, as a body. There may be a time when you're maybe wrestling with a lie or a falsehood. Maybe you believe something about God or about yourself that's not true. Well, this is a great opportunity for a brother or sister to come next to you and be like, yeah, I've, I've, I've walked through that. Let me pray with you through that. Let me walk you through that. Let me be with you while you're wrestling with that. These are the kind of things we, why we need each other. We are all sinners, not saying anything contrary to that, but our vulnerability is increased when we isolate, when we separate. When you stop meeting together, you also become disconnected. You miss out on the life of the church. This church is both organization and organism. It's a living and breathing thing. If you choose to step away, you miss out on the life of the church. In our passage today, verses 19 through 23, there is energy, there is action, there is movement in those, in those verses. All the verbs are present tense, they're active verbs. We draw near. We hold fast, and we consider how to stir one another up. That's a lot of we's in that passage. We do these things in community. These are not individual commands, but corporate commands. We do these things. This is not some sort of dead social club that we just do on Sundays. There is life here. There's life in this body. We experience this when we see somebody growing in their young faith. We see this when somebody rallies around somebody who's struggling. We have communities of, people, communities of faith who, who step up next to somebody who's suffering a tremendous grief or celebrating a tremendous success. We're there to mourn. We're there to celebrate. We experience the joy of life. We, we experience fellowship and joy when we walk through life's ups and downs. If you're disconnected from this body, you're disconnected from a source of life. You have no one to spur you on towards love and good deeds, which leads to a dry and non-existent faith. Also, without community, you run the risk of becoming purposeless. That's what happened to my friend Will in the movie about a boy. He didn't have a purpose. He was all about his coffee, his hair, his exercise, and that was it. He didn't have community. He didn't have purpose, and he wandered. 1 John 2.10 says, talks about those who hate their brother are lost and in darkness. 
I'm making a little bit of a stretch perhaps, but to, to be isolated and to be disconnected, you're not loving your brother or sister. So to walk in darkness is to be disconnected from God, disconnected from life, and disconnected from who you were meant to be. If we shun community and relationships with others, you're guaranteed you find yourself disconnected from God's purposes. Many of us have had our lives bit, uh, greatly blessed by having somebody sit next to us and say, you know, I think you're really good at this. Or I think you maybe need to pray about this. I think you need to work on this. How many of us have had that conversation with somebody who's walking with us? Without community, without investment, you're vulnerable, you're disconnected, and you are lost. All that's to say you're not living the full life God has for you. Remember what I said earlier. There's no category to live a thriving Christian life isolated. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. Part of our success as a church, and I say church universal here, part of our success as a church is that we stumble, struggle, and walk together. At times, you lean on your neighbor because they're, they're supporting you, and other times somebody leans on you because you're their support. And one of the things I love most about the Chosen series, right, Chris? The Chosen series is that we see community up close. We see the disciples growing in their faith. We see the mountaintop moments and the bickering. We see the, them growing in their faith, and we see some petty struggles. It's not the clean and polished version. Everybody's not happy-clappy all the time, right? Church life is messy, but it's life. We grow with each other, and we grow each other. That's the secret sauce. So to walk on your own in some sort of disconnected spiritual space is to forgo God's design, his purpose, and his calling to you as a believer. And unlike other parts of the world where you can't openly live out your faith, we can do that here. We can meet at each other's houses for small group or for Bible study or for prayer or whatever it is without fear. And so here at CORE, We've tried to make some of that easier. We've set up these groups for you to gather. I'm not saying community and growth only happens in small groups because it happens outside of small groups. Don't get me wrong. But it does happen there. It does happen there. And we've provided these groups as a means by which you can experience growth and community within your spiritual journey. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one thing. It's possible some of you stay away from community because you've been hurt before and community has been hard. And I understand that. And that, that can happen. We can hurt each other and we can harm each other. But amongst growing believers, I do believe you can find a group, a safe place for you to grow and experience freedom from your hurts. It's not like skydiving where if you've had a bad experience, you probably shouldn't do it again. With relationships and community, if you've had a bad experience, you should keep trying. It's worth the risk. So friends, brothers, sisters in the faith, make sure you're part of community here at CORE and elsewhere. Check out a small group. Talk to Austin when he's here, when he's not back there. Talk to Austin. Let him know if you have any questions or concerns. He'd be happy to talk to you. Um, in fact, if you're a small group leader, just raise your hand. I know we've got a couple in the room. So we've got Rick, and we've got Ken, and we've got Chris, and we've got Sarah, and we've got Lamoria and Keisha. A bunch of small group leaders are here right now. So talk to them. Talk to myself. Um, and lastly, check out a small group, talk to Austin, yada, yada, yada. I got off sidetrack there. That was not in my script. And then it's our calling as a church. Let us, let us gather. Let us not stop meeting together. Let us hold fast to our confession of our faith, and let us spur each other on towards love and good deeds.